Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming outside me today. Today, we're headed to the great state, the Terrapin state of Maryland, to talk with Pat about saddle hunting and camouflage from the saddle, shooting an insanely long draw length. And then I definitely am excited to talk about eye dominance today. I get asked about it a lot. I'm left handed, but I'm right eye dominant, or I'm right eye dominant, left handed, or uh, left eye dominant, right handed, and all those ins and outs. I think it's be a really cool conversation today. But before we get to Pat and today's episode, if you want to find yourself on the Average Jack Archery Podcast, just an average guy talking about bow hunting, archery, and all the ins and outs of that, please send me an email, averagejackarchery at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, and yes, you can even leave a comment on YouTube. But today, this episode is not about you. It's about Pat. And Pat, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Nate. I'm super stoked, man. This is, well, first of all, I'm going to give away a bit of your background. You're also an elementary school teacher, so it's awesome. Yes. And you're an enormous man, bigger than me. You know, I'm 6'4 and, and change. You're also a large guy, so it's awesome to talk with you. But uh, I'm excited to have you on. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Awesome. Yes. 6'7. Uh, that, yeah. that is my height. <laughs> that, that, that makes me a big guy. 275 pounds. That makes me a big oh. guy. Did you, I, I didn't ask you off air. Did you do sports like basketball, football and stuff? I forgot to ask you that off air. So uh, growing up, I did soccer. And when I got to college, I uh, was on, I was a heavyweight boxer at Westchester. No, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah. So you didn't, they, no basketball, no football, no. No, my, um, my first college roommate was 6'10 and he was the center. Okay. And I was like, you know what, I, I did not do basketball growing up. Um, the coach at the high school uh, said, well, we come in and practice at six in the morning. I'm like, not this player. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, six in the morning, I'm still sleeping. Right. That's awesome. I'm that's, still sleeping now as an adult at six yeah, in the morning. Yeah, that's also true. I, you know, because I get asked all the time, people at, you know, oh, you're really tall. Did you play basketball? I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I never liked the sport. Like outside yeah. of a kid, you know, in elementary school playing. But like, once you got to like be able to pick sports, middle school, high school, I, I couldn't care less about basketball. I, I'm not even a big fan of watching uh, organized sports other than watching my son play. Right. You know, he had a soccer tournament today and, um, you know, to watch him play, I'm into that. But uh, to follow, it's not popular to say, but I, I do not follow the Ravens. Right. Right. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> no Lamar a, Jackson I'm, for you? I, on, a, on a Sunday, I am uh, like, I'm watching Average Jack Archery on Sunday. Hey, well, you know what? I'll take it because Lamar Jackson's making a lot more money than I am. That's for darn sure. But anyway, speaking of the family and everything, give a little bit of geographic and a little bit of hunting background about you for the folks at home, kind of roughly based where you are there uh, in Maryland, because that, of course, there are certain parts of Maryland that are incredibly rural in terms of how that hunts, and there are certain parts that are incredibly urban and how that hunts just kind of give a little bit of that sure. as well as like how long in general you kind of been hunting the bow hunting that sort of stuff so um i live in towson which is a suburb in baltimore county uh that's the most populated county in in maryland um just north of baltimore city i work in baltimore city public schools um i hunt on um right now on private land um someone i a friend of mine has 26 acres of land um, about 15 minutes away. And, um, but then there are three uh, public land places within 20 minutes of me. Oh, really? Um, 
Lock Raven, Pretty Boy, and Liberty um, are pretty big reservoirs. Lock Raven is 10 minutes away. Um, and But those, all three of them are bow only. So, okay, that does make sense though. Right. I, um, I've been hunting. Um, I started uh, with a bow when I was 26. And um, that came after um, a student of mine got me into fly fishing. And um, so it was like, you know, being outside, I did the fly fishing, I did the uh, fly tying, and um, eventually just kind of sparked the interest of uh, uh, pick up a bow and pick, pick my uh, father's brain about uh, bow hunting and um, found a lot of that on my own. So. Yes. And so that has now more, you know, now, you know, I'm not, I, you don't want to give your age away, but you can, you've been hunting for 20 years, you know, in that, in that broad, at least in that, uh, in that spectrum. So you're well seasoned. I don't mind saying it. I'm, uh, I'm 53 years old. Um, I will say that uh, there was a grad class I was taking that, that I had to introduce myself and I forgot how old I was and aged myself by a year. And it was my wife later that said, you're not that old. Yeah. Well, you know, at least you were like, I'm 27 and you're just in complete denial. You know, at least, you know, you gave yourself more credit, you know, by being a little bit older. At least that's, that's the story I'm going to go with. But I, I have to use this to transition because you're a little bit on the, on the, in the well-seasoned and definitely in an area of your life in the hunting world where you can just get stuck into a rut. This is how I've always done things, so on and so forth. But in 2014, well before anything in the hunting industry in the past two years, especially blew up with saddle hunting, you were already in a saddle, which is something you don't hear a lot of, you know, outside of like John Eberhardt, I don't think I could name a single other person I know that's been hunting out of the saddle earlier than 2016, maybe 2017, yeah. you know, maybe Garrett, Bobby Boswell, Boudreaux Boswell, obviously uh, was definitely in it as well. But even guys like uh, Greg Godfrey with tethered, it was really the past two to three years. So, for the folks at home, what in 2014 pushed you in that direction and why have you stayed with it is behind my side of the question. So uh, being in, being on a traditional tree stand, um, being six foot seven, uh, my, the pain in my back and the pain in my butt, um, not being, in my, and then if a deer does come in and I try to stand up at six, seven, I don't feel that easy on a tree stand, always feeling like I'm going to fall off. Um, so, and then there was the whole, um, if I do fall with a traditional uh, harness, there's this suspension trauma I need to worry about. If I do fall, I got to get, I only have a certain amount of time to get up out of that back to the tree stand, or I'm a dead man hanging in a tree. So um, I had seen, I don't know where I saw it, but I had seen, um, it, it was pro probably an older video on YouTube um, of a tree saddle and some, it, it was the uh, early arrow hunter that um, it was a video that I stumbled onto with Bobby Boswell. And um, so that directed me to New Tribe. And once I tried the evolution, uh, when that came out, uh, there was no turning back. Like within that day, I was ready to, after I put it on, it was hanging at a tree. Um, I was ready to get rid of all my tree stands and 
and go into it whole hog. Um, when I saw him hanging upside down, uh, I was like, okay, that is safe. Like if he's not, and he was bouncing upside down on that, in that uh, arrow hunter and uh, he was not falling out of it. And I was like, um, I, I drank the Kool-Aid and all the way. Um, so uh, yes, you got what, me into saddle hunting. What were you using as a platform back then? Cause things like the predator and out on a limb and that sort of stuff wasn't around. So what were you using? A lot of guys were probably using the ring of steps. I imagine that sort of thing. So what were you using as a platform? Cause also, you don't have small feet being six, seven. So it's not like, you know, the predator XL, if you will, or the big trophy line that's come out, or even like, I guess in the olden days, like the lone wolf assassin platform, which was like a mini tree stand mm -hmm. base to it, almost like the size of like a, their current assault or something like that. What were you using back then? So, um, and I still have, uh, three of these, um, gorilla came out with a, a tree seat that would flip up and would ratchet around the tree. And I have three of those. Um, one is Gorilla, and um, I have two from an older brand, I think it was like River's Edge or something. And um, they were, they're made out of steel. And um, on the public, I mean, on the private land that I, I use, I leave those up in the tree the whole season. And I will climb up to those and I'll stand the platform is only I don't know, 10 inches by four or five inches. And that is what I would stand on. I've tried the ring of steps. I have those, do not like them. Um, I, I bought the uh, predator platform recently uh, for uh, when I'm on public land. Okay. But, and I do like, you know, the side pressure. Most of the time I'm uh, like leaning off the side um, not so much on the platform, but okay. Yeah. So that gorilla, I imagine is similar. You've probably seen it as well. Like Hawk has a tree seat and it's meant to be used like a, like a bucket seat. You're meant to sit on, sit at, at ground level. That was the whole point of that gorilla's tr tree right, seat, I imagine. Right. And you're just utilizing it as something, you know, 15, 20 foot in the air that you're standing on instead. Of course, everything that, uh, in the, that started out was like with, with, uh, tree saddles was the uh the sit drag that wasn't meant to be up in a tree and no it was not it. and i sat in it and i'll tell you what though i was incredibly comfortable in mine even being a bigger dude i had incredible comfort in the sit drag and i thought to myself if i can be comfortable in this thing imagine what like an actual like real legitimate uh, manufactured saddle would feel like and it was exactly what i what i envisioned it's cool i like talking to folks like I love talking to Garrett Prawl and watching Garrett Prawl's old stuff when he was, he also was kind of one of the first like big faces on YouTube in particular that had a good mm -hmm. following that was dabbling in the, in the saddle and the ultra lightweight stuff and you know, the platforms and everything. And I love talking because, cause like there was nothing manufactured at the time. John Eberhart was kind of doing his own thing and, mm -hmm. and, and how he created it. So everything was DIY. Everything was completely at your own risk, all that sort of stuff. And, it was that I know when I started doing it with the sit drag and stuff, I was sitting there thinking I like the modularity, the mobility, and the comfort. In particular, it comes to the butt and the back when it mm -hmm. comes to the tree stand platform. 
I would rather put those things over my own personal health and safety when it comes to this DIY <laughs> thing. Was that something that you also kind of weighed in your head and you were like, yeah, I'm going to take all of these things over the fact that I'm using equipment that is not meant to be used for this purpose? When I bought the, when I got into the saddle hunting, it was meant for that purpose. So I didn't, I never used anything like this. Well, I mean, like your, like your seat, like for example, your, your, your tree stand, your platforms are yeah. meant to be, oh, you know, yeah. three, four yeah. feet it's off comfort. the ground. It, yeah. it's, it's comfort and it's what, you know, there's nothing made out there for a guy like me. I mean, for, for someone of my size with my size 17 shoes, like uh, um, my whole foot is not fitting on something unless I'm going to put a uh, the bottom platform of a of a climber, and you know I don't want to take that much weight in with me, but um, but no, I uh, it's all about comfort and what my body if it can support my body up there, and for the most part the platform is not supporting my weight. Like That's not, correct. The saddle is taking most. The saddle and the ropes are taking taking the weight. Majority. I get asked this a lot. I don't and I don't know how you are with your in your hunting community. If you get a lot of people that are like that are still tree stand guys, they look at you in a saddle. They're like, I don't understand that. I get asked a lot, like, well, I'm stand like they were like, well, I don't see how you can do that. You're standing the whole time. I would. I don't know of what the weight distribution would be. I have to imagine that seventy to eighty percent is in my backside when I'm leaning. Oh yeah. It has to be. I feel nothing almost on my feet. I could stay. I could lean away from the tree almost all day. I basically just move into the tree to sit just for a change of pace, yeah. and I'm. Uh, I I get the jitters. I got to move. I am um, most of the time. I'm a leaner. I'm leaning back away from the tree, um, and very seldom do I come in because I don't like putting my knees up on the tree. But um, and I'm I. For as much as I don't like putting my knees on the tree, I don't like wearing knee pads that much more. Um, so that really causes me to be a leaner. Um, that being said, when when like I have the back band that I'll put underneath my armpits and for the upper back, but if I feel like I want to sit, I will take that back band and pull it down under my butt into my thighs, and it's almost like I'm sitting on a kid's swing in in a in a playground. That's right. Like it's, it's not the stiff board, but it really gives me a let, just a little extra support underneath there um, uh, just to help alleviate if, if I do have any back pain in the, in the tree saddle. And I'm not saying that I don't ever get back pain in the tree saddle because being 6'7", uh, I'm just not meant to be up in a tree. <laughs> no, but, we are not. <laughs> no. I mean, I, if you really think about it, I am the tree. Well, okay. This I am the, the tree. This is the perfect segue too, because this is something that I've written down and we, we talked about a little off air. And what I put in the outline, we are the tree. We are like this enormous branch yeah. system coming off the side of the tree. When it comes to camouflaging us in a tree, this is something I get asked a bunch. Don't you stick out like a sore thumb twenty times worse than you ever did when you at least with a climber or a hang on you could get, you know, get up into the tree a little bit. Do you find, I got to ask you this before we get to the whole yeah. camouflage thing, like actual physical clothing. Do you ever find yourself, because I had a discussion with this with a gentleman a few weeks ago. He steps up, like he'll pull up on his bridge and get up to the tree and like hug, like get as parallel to the tree as possible. Do you ever do that to hide or are you staying on the opposite side of the tree from the deer instead? Um, for the most part, I'm on the opposite side of the tree. Um, and it's, 
yes, I'm hiding behind the tree. Um, there are times that I have done the maneuver where I turn around and have the uh, line go up across my, my chest, pinning my body between the rope and the, or the, the bridge and the tree. Um, and then I can actually like lean out a little to take a shot that's directly behind me because I'm not too uh, great on those drop shots. Okay. But, but yes, I, um, um, I've done it all um, with those, but um, I've, for the most part, I'm leaning and I'm, I'm using the tree as cover. Right, because we talked a little bit about this off air. You don't get super wound about camouflage, like camouflage clothing, if you will, in the tree. You would much rather play hide and seek, if you will, yes. with the deer. See it, adjust yourself to be on the opposite side. You know, if the, if the deer is at noon, you put yourself at six o'clock, and if it moves to one, you go to seven. If it moves yeah. to eleven, you go to five. And is you know, is that something that you just kind of like, I just don't care what clothes they wear because again, you know, if you can find Campbell that actually fits you type thing, or was it just like, that just makes more logical sense. To me, it makes more logical sense just to put the tree between you and the deer. Right. Like uh, you've hit two points there that uh, one, um, I can't always find camouflage that fits me. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I do have a, a, a few pieces and I try to, um, when I buy something, I try to buy some oversized um, and already being a three XL, there's not too many things that are oversized for me, <laughs> but um, I do. <laughs> That's Great. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's just like, yeah, I'm three X. It's really hard to be oversized, but um, so I try to use that as like a, um, an, uh, similar to what you did with your, uh, with the leafy suit jacket. Like I wear whatever I'm going to wear when it gets colder and put something, something that I have over it that's camouflaged because I can't find the big camouflage uh, wintertime jacket that's going to fit me. Um, now that being said, um, in the tree stand, I mean in the uh, saddle up in the tree, I just prefer to use the tree as cover and wear muted colors along the way. So I'm wearing my uh, tan colored Carhartts on my legs. And um, you had said off camera about uh, wearing your uh, muck boots. Um, right, I to get the extra length. Right, so I don't have that option. Like they don't have those big enough for me. Right. And so um, I have to, I, I find something like the, the Carhartts have the length for me and I wear um, a pair of uh, high-tech uh, leather uh, uh, hiking boots and those are my hunting boots um, for like in the warm and the cool seasons. Um, yeah, so what are, what are you wearing for a winter boot though? Because I mean, you're in Maryland, it's not like super cold, but you're definitely dealing with some 30 degree temperatures in the hunting season. So I found, um, I have no idea where I found this, um, but it was, uh, Columbia had made a pair of uh, size 17 um, and it had some camouflage on it in like a 10 inch boot, insulated boot. Um, with that shiny material on the inside for insulation or whatever. Right, right, right. And uh, so I, I found those. Um, and but I wear those high tech leather boots until my until my toes start uh, getting numb, and then I throw those others on. It's it, because those other ones I just don't have the maneuverability uh, because they're a much bigger boot, oh, and I'm huge. already 
Right. And I'm already, ha- I already have the huge foot inside the boot. And so I'm not really all that maneuverable on a, uh, on a platform, but the, the tree saddle allows the maneuverability um, per se. Right. And this is, this is something I, I also wanted to ask you about when it came to the saddle, because it'll tie into the next topic when I talk about when it comes to draw length. But for me, I fought for years with the stinking tether, their standard yeah. four-part tether that comes out of the back between your shoulder blades on a standard tree stand harness. I would fight with that thing, every, and then I'd be, you know, backed. I'd be sitting, and I had to shoot straight in front of me. My elbow would hit the tree. I remember shooting a deer one time, and I shot under the tension. My elbow, my funny bone cracked the tree behind me. It hurt like son of a gun. <laughs> and and so I fought. And so going to a saddle just was able to put me away from the tree. I didn't have to fight yeah. with that tether behind my back. Was that something? Just on a personal. No, was that something you experienced as well as fighting with that tether because of your insanely long draw length? Oh yeah. Okay. Like, uh, being, uh, I'd always be right up against the tree, um, um, or like I hit a branch. Um, you know, I get up there positioned and and sitting. I, I, you know, I don't necessarily think about the branch that's up above me, and then I. Um, or I see it there, but that's not going to affect me. And then I stand up and it does affect me. And, um, but the, uh, um, the strap coming out of the back definitely was a big hindrance. And once getting in the saddle to say goodbye to that was, was a godsend. It was, it, it literally was the biggest silver lining to switching to saddles. I had no idea how much I really, truly, I knew I never liked it. I knew I always fought with it. I always had to think about which way I was. There'd be times where I like, I'd be standing there in the stand and I would like deliberately put my arm up and around over the tether behind me to grab it. If the shot was on like my weak side, for example, instead of going up underneath it. So I would have to fight it like that kind of stuff. You just shouldn't have to fight with in a tree stand. And I did not realize how much I hated that thing, how much it was in my way on a normal basis until I moved to saddle hunting. How about having that, that strap come up your back and then you want to put a, a coat on with a hood or something, the hood you can't do, or you gotta, you, you have the hood on and the strap is coming out by your ear and you know, you have to be a contortionist to do it, everything to do everything. And the saddle takes care of all of that. There's been a lot of people that have quote her deer when it's really just that seatbelt material, that strap rubbing <laughs> on the inside of their hood. A lot of those. But yeah, let, let's transition to this, the next topic I want to I want to hit to here. I alluded to it already. Long draw. You're a 32 inch draw. Correct. And this is something that I, I don't want to talk about our insanely long, you know, you're insanely long draw length. You know, I'm in the 31 inch land as well. And you know how we get to cheat with heavy arrows. That's always fun. We, we talked about that very briefly off air. We're 500 grains without even trying, you know, Absolutely. that type of stuff. That's, that's, that's not what I want to talk about because we're cheating in that regard. I want to talk about how buying the bow that fits you because it fits you and that's what works for you and that's what fits your budget and that sort of stuff. So being a 32-inch draw length, that severely limits, even me being a 31-inch draw and, and for a lot of manufacturers, it severely limits a lot of the things that are available to you. So you knew, and this, I want you to, uh, to kind of tell this story a little bit about the okay. two bows that you currently own. You put the cart before the horse in yes. terms of what you had to purchase. So explain this for the folks at home because no one understands so, big guy problems better than you do here. So I didn't... Um... Um, I knew there weren't a lot of bows and I did my research online looking for what bows are out there that uh, have the 32 inch draw length. And um, 
uh, knowing that I can't do, I'm not in the, the, I'm a teacher, so I'm not buying an $1,100 bow. I can't do the flagship bows when they're new. I need them when they're used. Um, so I, I knew th that Matthews had the uh, switchback LD. And um, I said to myself, if I ever had the opportunity to buy one, if I ever found one up that came up, um, I would snatch it. But I also knew they were cam specific. So I, had, I came across the, um, the 32 inch cam for the Switchback LD first. So I bought that and uh, I had that for at least a year before I found the Switchback and for a price that I wanted to pay. I still didn't want to pay you know, $800 for it, but I found it for about $250. And so then, you know, I put a new, new set of strings on and I have uh, a switchback LD and a 32. That being said, I, I always said I would love to have a Z9, even though it was shorter axle to axle, it bumped up the, the speed a, a little bit, especially with uh, pulling a 32 inch draw length. Uh, same thing, I came across the Z9 cam in the 32 inch first and then over a year later came into the bow. So yes, I put the, the cams first and then came across the bows later. Which but. is awesome. <laughs> like, well, and granted also too, like it's like, that was a very specific era for Matthews in the late 2009, 2010, 2011 timeframe when their bows were cam specific. You know, yes. now of course all their bows are module specific, but that wasn't too uncommon for a lot of module specific, cam specific things to be going on uh and you were buying equipment at least at the time that wasn't brand spanking new sure you were buying stuff that fits you and those bows are not speed demons and those bows in terms of their technology quote are outdated by today's standards those i love those bows i love working on those bows when they come into the shop those things are sweet shooters and i tell that to everybody when they're like ah should i buy this used bow it's like seven, eight, nine years old, particularly it's the Matthews. I love the Matthews, that era. They're just fantastic. They kill everything you shoot at, at least. Oh, yeah. I, um, I had, was on an email with uh, Troy Fowler, and um, yes, I bought the test kit, and I bought both of them from Ethics. So I have the 100 to 300. Right. And um, so I, I dabble in that, but, uh, but that's a different topic. But um, it, like I, he'd asked me about my bow and I told him I was a switchback LD. He said, stay with it. Like that's still, it kills it. Like I, I love the forgiveness of it and um, it being a little bit longer axle to axle, it just fits me perfectly. Now, like I, like I said, I, I would, if I came into some, a lot of money, I would love to go out and, and just take a test drive on a, uh, um, what was it? The the Matthews. Um, I'm drawing a blank. Help Probably me. Probably the Traverse or Traverse. The, yeah, the Traverse because they only have one. There's always no matter who you go to. If you're looking for a hunting bow, you're only going to find one that is allows a 32 inch draw length. Oh yeah, yeah. You the max most of them go like it's actually becoming more and more commonplace for them to only go to like 30 to 30 and a half. And now I'm starting to kind of like you know, kind of worry a little bit because I'm in 31 land and that used to be a safe place to be, you know, and yeah. actually I remember vividly like in the late 2010, 
maybe early 2010 range, bows, they, I think Bear was making bows out to 33 inches wow. just on the norm. Like that was part of their flagship yeah. thing. And now it's kind of gone down to 32 is the max, 31 and a half is the max, 31. And some are only going to the 30, 30 and a half. And um, I feel a little bit slighted as one of the big guys in the industry. And you're, of course, one of the bigger people in the industry there. But P.S. PSE had a bow out called the Freak. Yes. I was like, okay. And that went out. I, I know it was over what I would draw at. And, but it's still, it was a flagship bow. And I was like, I can't buy that. I can't put that kind of money. My wife would kill me if I put $1,100 down on a bow. Yeah. And like, there, there's all these bows I would love to test. But I was like, I, I love the cure. Like looking at all the reviews, I love the cure, but I know I'm not going to, there's nothing I can do 32 inch draw. Like, I, I guess the only way I could do that is if I have like a three or four inch, like if I have a really long D loop. Right. Right. The only guy that I've seen, and this, it's really good. Anybody, anytime anybody tries, I see on Facebook or something and I try to stay off social media if I can, which is funny because my entire YouTube and everything revolves around social media. But anytime anybody's like, you know, they post a picture in a group, it's like, it's a form check. And like 57 people will comment things that they're doing wrong. Yeah. I always want to comment a picture of Tim Gillingham because Tim Gillingham has been doing things wrong for 40 years. He anchors to like the front of his lips. He has like a three and a half inch D loop. He touches just the tip of his finger. He's a command shooter, so he makes the bow go off when he wants it to go off. There's so many things that Tim does, quote, wrong. And, oh, yeah, that's right. Tim has won probably more money at archery shoots than I will make being a teacher for the next 30 years. So, you know, I, the, the interesting thing is that you can make a lot of things work, although it's better to not make yeah. them work and just ha have them be the way they are supposed to work instead of making them. And it's a shame about the cure because it'll, it'll go to 30 and a half with the way the modules work with the let off and everything. But I'm st I still at that 31 inch, I just feel just a touch short. Mm -hmm. um, so I still play with D loop length and stuff, but I would, w I really do wish, cause I love the result cause it goes out mm -hmm. to 31 and a half and I can play with that and find that perfect feel and fit for me. And uh, I do wish more bow companies, although the big guys are, are, uh, we're not a dying breed by any means, but we're definitely the, a small, very small part of the industry. It's kind of funny that, uh, um, that you say that and that your channel is Average Jack Archery because to a certain extent, we're not average. No, that's true. We are <laughs> definitely- the higher end of average. The higher end of a lot of average numbers. You know, I have a watermelon for a skull and, I, <laughs> uh, and my inseam is definitely over 34 inches. But anyway, let's, uh, let's also talk about things that are also- a little bit weird uh, okay. about us and how it operates. I want to talk about eye dominance. We talked a little mm -hmm. bit about this off, off air. This is something that I get asked questions about a lot. And for anybody who hasn't heard this story before, I'm left-handed everything. I'm left, you know, I throw, eat, kick a ball. I'm left ear dominant, like I hear better, all that sort of stuff. But I am right eye dominant when I was a kid. I just straight up was right eye dominant. And my grandfather said two things. One, you should follow your dominant eye. But secondly, if you can shoot things right-handed, particularly in archery, it's just like playing a right-handed guitar. When you go to buy another one or sell this one, it's going to be a lot easier to sell than a left-handed guitar. Same thing's true with a left-handed bow. So if you can learn to follow your dominant eye and learn to shoot a bow right-handed, you'll be a lot better off throughout the years. And he was very right when he said that. But I get a lot of people that ask me, 
hey, I'm right-handed, but I'm left-eye dominant. What the heck do I do? And yeah. I tell people, follow your <laughs> handedness. In 2020, I tell people to follow your handedness because you know, if you pick up a bow and you go by left-handed and you don't even know if you like archery, now you're stuck with left-handed gear. And that can be a real tricky, real tricky thing in today's world of resale and, you know, if you can get your money's worth out of it. And I feel bad for those folks. And also, if you're brand new and you're already right-handed, usually this is stronger over here on yep. that right side. It just makes life a little bit simpler. Now, when it comes to you, though, you had, it wasn't a strength issue. It was a straight up, we're missing the target issue. We either got to do, we got to switch Boy, hands. That's embarrassing. We, well, I mean, no, you were a kid. <laughs> yeah. You had no idea. But like. You, you either have to train to do the opposite dominance or go to that non-dominant physical side when it comes to your left side. So unpack that a little bit for the folks at home. So I, um, I didn't start shooting until I was 26. And my father took me out to a bow range. And um, he had bought a bow um, in a yard sale for me. Uh, it was an old bow. It was a wood bow with uh, idler wheels on both the top and bottom. And the string was like a steel cable, a coated steel cable. And um, so we, we, we got out to the, the bow range and no one else was there. And we had three arrows with us. And I, I pulled back on my right side. I'm right side dominant, but I'm uh, right-handed, uh, left eye dominant. And at that time, I didn't know I was left eye dominant. So I pulled back on the right side, but I'm looking at, obviously I'm now, I'm not looking down the string, but I'm looking at the target with my left eye and, or that's the side that took control. And when I released, I missed the target completely. And my father was like, well, that's just beginner. We'll, we'll, we'll try again. And three hours, three arrows later, and we're searching for three arrows in the grass because I missed complete, completely. And then uh, that was when he said, um, what eye are you aiming out of? And I said, well, my left eye, that's, that's what just comes natural. And he said, yeah, if you're going to shoot right-handed, you need to train yourself to uh, aim with your right eye. And so um, early on, I would wear a patch on my left eye and um, just to start training myself to shoot with, uh, with my right eye, aiming with my right eye. And now when I shoot, um, my left, like I'm still left eye dominant. If I did the test, bringing your hands back, um, it still comes to my left eye. Um, and with the gun, I'm still mainly shooting, um, left-handed. I mean, uh, yeah, for my left eye dominant, but, um, but for my bow, you know, the first bow I bought and I went into a shop and they, I told them I'm left eye dominant and they said, uh, we don't even have left-handed bows. We'd have to order one for you. And I mean, so that was, it was a, about almost 30 years ago. And, um, so he's, it, it was his recommendation that I, um, especially if my stronger arm is my right arm was to, uh, buy on and shoot right-handed. So, so yes, I trained myself, to uh, sh shoot right eye dominant, and um, but I don't close the eye. I don't wear a patch at all. Um, I just when I pull that bow back and that string is there, and I don't use a peep sight. 
That was my next question. I wanted to talk about that a little bit. At 53, I can't, my eyes have started to fade. I cannot see through a peep sight. Um, I use the Bomar nose button and anchor points. And um, I just make sure I'm at a consistent anchor point. And um, I still, at 20 yards, have no problem hitting a 50 cent piece. So, um, but, uh, but yes. And, and early on, my father's, like, his advice to me was to, we cranked the sights, these old metal sights that would screw over to the left side. And they're sitting over, I swear, it looked like six inches over just to get in line with my left eye. But still, I was like, oh, that was just nuts. The things we did early on. Um, but yes, I digress. I stay with a right-handed and right eye, dom- right eye even though I'm left eye dominant. Um, just trained myself to use my right eye to focus. Are you using the string at all? Like like recurve archers, like Olympic recurve archers don't use a peep. They use the string for a string blur, and then they'll look at the, the ring and their pin down at their riser. Are you doing that, or is it all anchor points? All anchor points with the nose button, that sort of stuff? And- anchor points. Anchor points, and then I look at I, – I anchor in – and with the nose button or whatever, I mean, it used to be just the, the string on my nose, but um, I look at the um, pin and then I focus on the target. I'm not focusing on that pin. I'm focusing on the target and then um, execute my shot. That's awesome. That's, that, that is something that has come out a lot recently. So how long have you been shooting without a peep though? Um, 15 20 years. Oh, it's been quite a while. Yeah. Like I had the, um, the old peep that had the, um, the tube. Oh yeah. On it, the stretch tube. I had that on. And, um, um, when I got rid of that and went to all these, the, the newer type peeps, I, we, I didn't have a bow shop close here anymore. So I would, uh, have to learn to do these things myself. And, and at a certain point, like um, I would just keep going into a bigger peep and bigger peep. And when you're already at a quarter inch peep and you're still having trouble seeing your sights, I was like, you know what? There just has to be a better way. And um, like I started thinking, it was like, well, when my dad was hunting, when he was, you know, my age or a lot younger, he wasn't using a peep and, and they just went to anchors. And so I was like, okay, no peep. We went with no peep. As a matter of fact, I had gone, when I got rid of it, I had a product, um, you, you'll, you might remember this, it was a Timberline No Peep. And it was, the, it was the basis for what the IQ sights are. Oh, it's the, it's the uh, crosshairs on the backside of the riser. Right, so the, there, there's been several products like this, but it would sit down by the shelf um, or near the shelf and there was a ring in the front and a dot in the back and you line those up and uh, you know, you, you, if you, you knew then that you were, you, you had your good anchor. If you had your consistent anchor, you weren't going to be torquing it. It was a great thing for torque, bow torque. But um, I used that. And um, after I got that and um, you know, used that as more of a training device, that uh, eventually I took that off and sold that to somebody else and just kept with uh, consistent anchors. That's awesome. I so I think probably the biggest right now 
like that we've seen is uh, Jared Schaefer from Flinging Arrows or Appalachian mm-hmm. Archery. He started using the, the nose button. What were you, I have to ask before the nose button, were you using anything in lieu of the nose button or was it just nose touching the string? Nose touching the string. Okay. Like knuckles um, at my jawline and uh, nose touching the string and that was it. He rides his Bovar nose button way off to the side, like almost up his nostril. Do you do that, or is it really out far it's, towards the tip? It's kind of like right in the right in the right in the tip. Right in the like, tip. I don't nose. want it when I pull back. I don't. I try to adjust it so that I'm not having to move my head to the button. I want to to pull back, and I want that button. Like I want that button within a sixteenth of an inch. Like if I have to just move a sixteenth of an inch to feel it, fine. But if I have to search all over for it, or if I have to tilt my head down, I don't want that. I um I got one with Bullhunter Box Club, but I played around with it a little bit. It's freaking sharp, and yes. I found I took a little bit of sand off of mine and kind of they're doing they're making one for a recurve. Brady Elson just used it at USA Nationals, uh, Outdoor Nationals here several weeks ago, uh, and they made it more like a almost like a kisser, but a little more rubbery. Did mm-hmm. you find that you kind of had to take the take a little bit of point off, or do you like it that spiky? Um, I haven't had it on that long, but I will, like, I haven't used it for hunting and, um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to either take a lighter to it or, um, to, to ease the edge down or take some sandpaper down. Cause it is kind of, it is kind of spiky. It's kind of yeah. a shock, but on the other hand, I know it like it, when I pull it back, it's like, yep, you're there. Right. Yeah, I took some super fine grit, like thousand grit, like drywall sandpaper to it. Just took a little edge off. Not like I didn't take sixty grit to it and round it, round it smooth. (laughs) What's the point of it then? What's the point of it then? At that point, that's cool. I, I, uh, I have to ask then though, when it comes to the pins and like how you're shooting, like what is your effective range just for practice forget the actual mm-hmm. ethicalness in the woods what is your effective range that you will shoot them without a peep and just using the anchors and that sort of stuff so i um in my backyard right here I, i'm at a 20 yard range um if i go over to the uh gun club that has some some targets i'll go out to 30 um but i for the most part, since I'm not hunting past 30, I don't shoot something past 30. I'm not comfortable with that. Um, and there's a story with that, that I don't, um, I usually try to keep them, uh, uh, to within 30. Um, so I'm usually practicing right there and, um, I don't want to shoot 40 or 50 or whatever, uh, because with my eyes at that distance, it becomes a big blur. Right. Well, and I will say too, like I, I get a little bit salty when people are like, well, I was out tuning broadheads today to 70 yards. And I'm like, what, what were you doing? You're never going to, why? I practice everything from zero to 35. I'll do some 40 just for fun, just for kicks and giggles that I can in my backyard. But I've taken one shot at an animal over 30 yards. And it was like the perfect scenario, the perfect situation to make it work. Actually, I take it back. I did have a shot at an animal at 40 yards, and it went horribly wrong. Everything went wrong because she, she moved. It was not a yeah. good situation. Everything, and I vowed I would never <laughs> do that again because everybody talks about how the gold standard is 40 yards. So, 40 yards to me is a mile. And you probably have a bunch of stories about it. So I have um, the deer that's the only deer I had mounted up here above my house, show you a little later, is uh, 
I, it was on the PSE Nova. It was early in my hunting career and it was about 40 yards and I aimed for the front shoulder. And by the time the arrow got there, I mean, we're not talking high speed bows. By the time the arrow got there, it hit it in its back hip. And um, so it went down. And when I came upon it an hour or so later, um, it picked its head up and looked at me like, what do you want? And um, so I went back to the truck and, and had some coffee, had a sandwich and waited another two hours and went back and it had expired. Mm-hmm. But uh, after that, I was like, never again am I taking that long of a shot. But yeah, every time I shoot at 40 yards, I just think about how long that arrow takes. Like a deer has an opportunity to make a sandwich, drink a cup of coffee of its own, <laughs> and then still duck the arrow, and then it gets there. Like it's, and you know, and, and, and we are not, sure, we're not shooting the fastest bows in the market. We're shooting over IBO specs, yeah. 60 pounds, 70 pounds, over 30 inches in that regard. We're not shooting like 220 feet a second here. And just the amount of movement that those critters can have at those distances is something I take very seriously. And I'm glad that you say that you're really like, yeah, 20 and 30. Like, and I think that's what people should really focus on. Yeah. I really do. I think the success rate of a lot of people would just skyrocket if they stopped worried about, well, I got to go out and shoot at 40 and 50 and make sure I'm on at 60. And then I got a bear shaft tune out to 70 and all that crap. Just you, you're shooting at 20, 30 yards. And if you hunt in any state, that has any sort of contiguous timber like we do mm-hmm. in the Northeast, most of the, a good chunk of the Midwest, a 40 yard shot is a bomb. It is an absolute bomb. And I think if a lot of people took 20 and 30 more seriously, I think we'd have a lot more successful hunters and a lot less wounded deer. Well, Pat, I can't thank you enough, bud, for coming onto the podcast today. Any social media for the folks at home that they could follow? So I like, um, um, saddlehunter.com and it's my last name uh, on it's uh, Vorsteg V-O-R-S-T-E-G at, uh, at the saddlehunter.com website and uh, they could just go and pick your brain of the past you know sure. six years of saddle hunting we can have a, a continuation of the average shack archery there there you go yeah hi I have a 37 inch draw length well you've <laughs> talked to the right guy <laughs> that'd be great well i can't thanks enough thank you enough bud for coming on the podcast if you kill anything i want a picture of it absolutely i need all I the pictures it. yeah man i i want them I, i'll be very excited to get them and i just love communicate with other folks just like us just like me the average guys out hunting it's it's been a blast so i can't thank you enough thank you uh folks again if you want to be just like pat and find yourself on an episode of the Average Jack Archery Podcast. Once again, do send me an email, averagejackarchery at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, and of course, you can always leave a comment on YouTube. Hope you're able to get outside, enjoy the sport of archery, archery hunting if you so choose. Definitely enjoy God's beautiful creation, and we'll get to see you next time.